This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Many Air Force pilots transition to a career as an airline pilot. Some have successful careers as a general aviation pilot. Dave Kaufman is an accomplished pilot who has taken his experience as an Air Force fighter pilot flying for the Thunderbirds and has built a successful general aviation business. Dave describes how he made the transition from flying fighters for the military to his current general aviation business. Dave's a contract pilot, flight instructor, and mentor pilot specializing in assisting pilots fly solo in complex aircraft by using his many years as a single-seat fighter pilot. Dave, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Oh, thanks a lot, Carl. Good to be with you. Yeah, and, you know, we spoke before, and if, if you want to hear uh, Dave's full story about his, his incredible career in uh, flying for the Thunderbirds and having a catastrophic afterburner explosion, you know, we talked about that in uh, episode 30 of the Stuck Mike Avcast, and I'll have links at Aviation Careers Podcast to that interview. But today we, we want to talk about careers and, and, and helping folks learn how to move from, from an Air Force career into the civilian world and also the benefits of of, of an Air Force job and, and working just in general flying for the military, all the different military forces. But first, before we start, you know, Dave, uh, just a quick background. How did, how did you get your passion for aviation? You obviously are very passionate about flying. Yeah, it sure is. It came at a, at a very young age. Um, the, uh, the farthest back I remember is just as a, uh, just in my teen years, and I actually was in a, a, a careers class, I think in ninth grade, and um, one of the things we did, we lived in Atlanta at the time, and the course, we actually went out and visited uh, what used to be Dobbins Air Force Base in Atlanta, and um, I can remember driving or riding onto the base, and it must have been in a van or something, but looking up and seeing an F-105 coming into uh, Dobbins and uh, uh, pitching out to land. And I thought, wow, that looks like fun. And, and I think from there on, uh, the spark was uh, was lit. And, uh, you know, that whole day we spent looking at airplanes and being in simulators and that kind of thing. And from there, uh, one thing led to another. Wow, that's great. It's, uh, and then you wound up at the Air Force. And uh, how did you actually apply? I mean, how did you go through that process? Well, I... I, uh, on through high school, I continued my interest, um, just reading everything I could find all the way, uh, you know, fly magazine books, everything, uh, until the time that I was 16 and decided, uh, and, and learned that I could start to learn how to fly then. So, uh, I, I started, uh, my flying career at 16 and got my, kind of like a lot of guys probably got my pilot's license at 17 and. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I was going to uh, college at uh, Florida Tech in Melbourne, Florida, and they've got an aviation um, college. And I earned most of my ratings there. Um, and about midway through my college career, I thought <clears throat> that uh, the Air Force looked like a great opportunity to me to fly uh, the best equipment. And um, and so there I, I started to apply. Uh the um, and I went. While I did is I went and I visited the uh, local recruiter, 
and uh, started me on the process. And that it sounded it sound like a really exciting process. We we spoke before, but you went from beginning. You just you come in the door and you say, "I want to be a fighter pilot," and then something happens, and then you become a fighter pilot, and then you transition to the uh, the uh, Thunderbirds, the U.S. Air Force Demonstration Squadron, but. You don't just walk in and say, "I want to be a fighter pilot." There's there's a little bit of a process there, and and uh, it's not automatic. It's not just going to happen. You can't just say, "Okay, this is your job." From what I understand, uh, how is that? How does that happen? I mean, is there's a selection process? I assume. Yeah, well, um, as you might imagine, everything in aviation is is very competitive, and it's no different in the military. Uh, probably even more so in the military. But um, once you um, start down that track in the military, uh, everything you do is evaluated. Uh, I, I, since I went to a regular four year college, uh, as opposed to the air force Academy, um, I, I needed to go to, uh, officer training school. So that was a three month uh, program where you're evaluated and basically taught how to be an officer. Uh, cause you have to have a degree in order to be uh, an air force pilot. Uh, and your, your evaluation starts there, uh, from day one. And, uh, but, uh, I, I went to officer training school knowing that I would go to pilot training, uh, after I finished. Uh, once I finished, I went to uh, pilot training, um, out of, um, Lubbock, Texas in the uh, old Reese Air Force Base, which is now closed. But, uh, anyway, the, uh, and, and again, the whole evaluation start process starts there. So from day one of your pilot training, it's uh, basically a year long of um, academics and then the, the uh, flying. You're evaluated. Every test you take, every uh, flight you take is just like a check ride, if you will. But uh, And you, basically you're racked and stacked against all your other classmates. We started with, uh, I believe it was a little about 64 people in our class. And with our original group, we graduated about half that. So there was quite a bit of attrition. Uh, uh, you know, people at that time and their age, they're, they're, it's very, it's a difficult program. It's very uh, fast-paced, and uh, and it gives you somewhat of a taste of military life. But uh, but the competition is intense, and by the time you're you come to the end of your you know, about ten months or so into your program is where they're starting to make the selections for who's going to go to fly different kinds of airplanes. Um, typically, the fighters are the ones that uh, are the hardest to get. Um, and uh, in my experience, the, um, there, was no, there was a lot fewer fighters than there were, in other words, heavy airplanes to fly or, uh, or those kind of jobs. So uh, they're, they're coveted and they're hard to get. But... Um, Normally, the folks that are in the top ten percent or so of their class are the ones that end up being in the in the fighters. Now, you said something about uh, moving on to being a pilot with the Air Force. You have to have a degree. Um, I've heard of these warrant officer programs. Now, is that not something where you can, don't have to be an officer to fly uh, aircraft? Is that not included in the Air Force? They don't have that program there. No, the warrant officer program is not a part of the Air Force. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's still a part of the Army, but I believe the Army was the one that uh, 
had right. the warrant officer program, and, and I'm not sure if they still have that or not. Gotcha. So if you want to, basically, if you want to fly for the Air Force, you need to get yourself a degree. Uh, and, That's right. And uh, they also have assistance, of course, uh, ROTC. There's all sorts of things you can go towards. And I'll put a, a link there on the website for that. But uh, one of the, the neat things about what you've done is that, okay, you, you did all this training, and then, then you became, you, you actually flew for the Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds, correct? That's right. Yeah, I sure did. Wow. Um, How'd you get that position? Well, the, the uh, about, I don't know, seven years, eight years into my Air Force career, I um, was actually considering a uh, career, uh, whether or not in the airlines or some other uh, form of uh, aviation. I, I, but I thought... Uh, in, my, in my own mind, I thought, well, what, what, what else can I do? Let's shoot from the moon and see what will happen. If, and uh, all they can do is say no. So I, I applied for the Thunderbirds. <laughs> it wasn't something I've always wanted to do. It was just something that uh, I thought, well, I'll give it a try and see what happens. Um, and uh, so I applied. It's a formal process where you make an application uh, to the team, um, and uh, and then they, they review all the applications they get each year and uh, uh my first year i did not uh, i was my application was rejected the second time i applied uh i'll take i kind of take you through the process like so i sent my paperwork in and my uh, all the things that were required uh and then they what they do is they review all the applications and then the ones that uh, they they're going to give a try a chance to they they invite those people out and and from my own experience from being on the team, it's about three to four uh, applications per open position that they will invite out to uh, Las Vegas, out to Nellis Air Force Base, uh, where the team, uh, Air Force Thunderbirds, are uh, located. And uh, you actually go to meet the team on the road while they're doing uh, their show season. So my year when I was applying, I, I flew to... Um, Fort Worth, Texas is where the team was having a show, and we, all the applicants that were there with my group, I think there was 12 or 15 of us, uh, all met the team, and we went through some, you know, some informal interviews where we just kind of were in different settings with the team members, um, and then the, uh, a formal interview process uh, where you get all dressed up in your uniform, which uh, your blue uniform, which as an officer you hardly ever use uh, as a pilot, <laughs> but uh, we had to bring it anyway for our interview. And then, um, and that was pretty much the the, the process there. We we met again. We met with a team for about three or four days, and then they they do their their uh, rack and stack. And then, if you um, make it to the finals, then they invite uh, uh, two. I think it was two or three guys out uh, for each open position. So. I, and, and then at that point, then you go out to Nellis Air Force Base uh, and then meet with the team again. And this time you do uh, not only another interview with the team, but you also do an interview with the, the wing commander out at Nellis Air Force Base, which was a one-star general, I believe, at the time, uh, for one-on-one. -on -one. And then you also do a flying um, check ride, if you will, uh, with the team. And through all those things, and they, they make their determination, and, and uh, a couple weeks later, I found out I, I was selected as a solo pilot with the team the next year. So uh, that was that was a fun time. Wow. Now, explain, like, if I'm watching the, the show, 
What does the solo pilot do when I'm watching the show? Where would I look for the solo pilot? Sure, sure. Well, the the, the officers on the team, the, the ones that fly the, the demo, there are six of them. There's six airplanes in the demo, and uh, there's four that they refer to as the diamond. So when they take off, the first uh, the first airborne are four airplanes that, uh, that fly around, it looks like a diamond. And uh, uh, the next two airplanes that take off, there's uh, – number five solo and a number six solo and uh the solo pilots typically what they're trying to do is to demonstrate the maximum performance capabilities of the airplane while the diamond are demonstrating the formation uh qualities of the airplane and of the pilots that fly in the air force so um i felt like i got to do the 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 fun the fun job because (laughs) Not only did uh, as a solo did you get to max perform the airplane, but you also it, uh, you also do fly some formation in the six ship Delta. Once uh, towards the end of the show, the team flies a, uh, a Delta formation where all six planes are together in very tight formation uh, to sh- to demonstrate that capability as well. So wow. um, two different types of flying, but uh, but uh, both of them very. Um, uh, very useful in displaying the capabilities of the airplane to the public. Well, I tell you that that sounds really cool. And, and you know, to transition to our next topic to help people understand their career aspirations and their goals and understand what they need to do. Um, one of the things before we leave your military career, and I know I'll just mention this to to our listeners, is that you know th- this whole process we've gone through very quickly but you've had an incredible career i mean some of the achievements you have are, are amazing i mean you were what the top graduate of the us air force uh, pilot instructor training uh, you have you received the distinguished flying cross for aerial achievement you also received the us air force pilot of distinction award for safe recovery in F-16 during air show after a catastrophic uh, afterburner explosion. And actually, we, we talk a lot about that uh, in uh, uh, Stuck Mike Avcast in episode 30. If you want to hear all about that, you know, I'd, I'd suggest going there. But today we want to talk about careers. I think, you know, first of all, before we move on to careers, as far as your military experience, you know, thanks so much for your service. I mean, you keep keep us here at, at home safe, and I think that's terrific. And uh, I think uh, more people should should look towards the, the service. And uh, for Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. The, the, uh, it's, uh, it's a career that I, everybody I talk to has really enjoyed, especially if they've been flying. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing, though. You went from Thunderbird uh, to general aviation. And a lot of people think, gosh, if I'm going to go fly for the Air Force or whatever, I'm going to go into the airlines. Why did you choose general aviation over the airlines? Well, um, you know, one of the things I think I mentioned earlier in our in our discussion was that when I was in high school, I thought that uh, maybe an airline career might be for me because I think that's the most visible. People see that, you know, they see that every day, or they they've flown on on a uh, airliner, and so they think, well, maybe that kind of career would be for me. And most folks never know; they don't realize all the different um, opportunities that are available in aviation until they get into them, you know. But um, Getting back to your question, uh, so after after my time in the Thunderbirds, I, I uh, actually I went back to an operational unit and I flew F-16s again for uh, the gray combat-coated uh, ones for a few more years. But um, I did leave the Air Force, and I, I thought at the time maybe, and I had a lot, most of my friends that I flew with are, um, are that chose to continue flying are flying for the airlines. Uh, 
I've got some with uh, friends with FedEx, some with UPS, some with Southwest, and some other uh, positions as well. But uh, I thought after flying in the fighter, um, it just for me the airline flying didn't look like that would be something that uh, I would I would be interested in. So I thought, and and my roots are in general aviation, as a matter of fact. So I started, uh, you know, I, I went and earned my private pilot certificate on my own with odd jobs and, and so forth while I was in high school at a uh, local airport when I was in, uh, actually we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. So I did Cray Airport in Jacksonville is where I learned to fly. And, uh, and anyway, so a lot of my, uh, friends that, uh, in the air force, uh, training, you know, that was their first flying experience was to get into the air force. So all they knew was military flying, but, I, I knew general aviation just a little bit, but I, I knew it enough to know that there were a lot of other opportunities. And uh, so when I left the military, I thought I would like to have my own uh, business, something I could do on my own without being in a, in a big company. You know, the, the Air Force is really a big company. At least when I was in, I think there was over a half a million or 600,000 people in the Air Force. That's, that's a big company. And, yeah. and you get a lot of, you get a lot of, corporate uh, influence even in the air force you know that the the uh, a lot of things you do uh as a as a uh, company if you will are driven by uh, a lot of because there are so many people you've got to do a lot of different things because there are so many people and i thought just that wasn't for me so i thought I, when i do my have, have a business i want to do something that i can do on my own and uh, I'm not going to do something because there's a lot of other people around me that dictate that I I, I learn this this skill or uh, you know I have to go to this meeting because of all the other people. So anyway, that that's what drove my decision. That the general aviation, I want to work with the public, um, but uh, I also knew I I, um, I didn't want to be in a large company. Well, you know that transition to doing your own business. That's that's kind of scary, and obviously, you know, you've been through some challenges in your life to get to the point where you flew through the thunderbirds there. But gosh, you know, how do you, how do you build that business? I know a lot of people listening today think, oh, the only way I can go is to the airlines to make make a decent living. Uh, but I feel people can make a successful business as as a flight instructor and also as a contract pilot, and, and you've done that. So how how did you do that? How did you build that business? Well. Um I, the, uh, you know, one thing, one advantage that I have is that, uh, uh, you know, I retired from the military. I'm, I'm not collecting a check at this point because I, I ended up serving in the Air Force Reserve. So the way the military retirement system, and I'll just do this briefly, but if you're a reserve officer and, and you'd serve the required time, you don't get a, a, a retirement check until you're in your 60s. Well, I'm, I'm not 60 yet, so... Uh, but if you serve on active duty for at least 20 years, uh, then you get a check as soon as you retire from active duty. That is one, you know, advantage as a military officer. If you, you know, you get out of college and let's say you're 22, 23 years old, you go into the Air Force or Navy or whatever and you fly. If you serve 20 years, you, you know, at, at age 42 or three, you're going to start earning an effect. Now, that check is not uh, as a... Uh, as a mid mid level officer, you you don't get a check that's going to be enough that you could live on as part of family. But just the same, there is a, there is a check there for you 
every month. And, and that is something to consider. You know, if you're considering your own business or you want to do something else, um, after you get out of the Air Force, it involves flying. That's a way. Now, for me, I've been fortunate enough um, that I've had the right kind of jobs where, uh, in other words, <clears throat> I've got a position right now where I've got a, a client who pays me well enough to manage his airplane and fly with him. Uh, at the same time, I can also go out and do contract work or uh, instruction or, or whatever else to um, to allow me to do some other things. So um, it's one of those things. I, I just give the credit uh, to God. I mean, it just it's put me in the right positions and uh, to where I could um, flourish and, and and do the things that um, uh, that I enjoy, and, and at the same time glorify Him. Well, you know that that's such a, a terrific story. I think people realize that, you know, you don't have to. I think we all think we have so many fears. You know, I worked as a contract pilot and I loved it. Uh, you know, you, you worry, or a lot of people worry about where is the next paycheck going to come from. But I think I think relying on your skills and your ability to get out there and, and hustle like you've done uh, sounds like you have your your hand in a lot of different things. And uh, if something happens to one of them, you're going to continue on. You know, you, you, you're going to move forward. Uh, and I think that that's one of the fears a lot of, and having faith helps too. I mean, you just have to have, you know, faith in yourself and, uh, the fact that you, you can, you can do this. You can, you can find the next job and, and, and you can't, you can't sit there and worry about it. For the people that, that really worry about that a lot, I think sometimes the best thing to do is, is to work for somebody. Um, but it seems like you've taken things into your own hand and you're able to make, and I want to stress this is that, you actually are making a living doing this. You're able to feed yourself and your family. Absolutely. Yeah, and that that's important. I mean, that's because uh, I think that the wrong impression here is that you know, flight instructors they can't you can't make money. I've actually done fairly well with instructing, uh, but you have to have your niche, and and you've done that. You you have actually built this niche, and I think um, it's around like the Phenom 300, the 100. I think the Citation. Uh, now you moved yourself into that niche of flying those certain jets, and how, how did you go about doing that? How did you, you know, would you just show up one day saying, "I want to fly the Phenom," and then? Right <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, when when I was considering this business, Carl, it's a good point um, that you bring up. I I looked at uh, who who did I, you know, where do, do I think my skills lie, and um, and what kind of people do I want to work with. And um, at the time, kind of the, the craze, you know, a few years ago with these uh, these uh, single pilot certified light jets, and I thought, what a great way for me to um, move into uh, uh, doing something I like with my own business, and to be able to work with uh, people who are transitioning from, you know, whether it's a turboprop or uh, a light single engine airplane to their own uh, uh, turbojet, you know, twin engine jet. And so I thought that's what, that's what I'm going to do. So I, you know, I had all my instructor kits and had all the jet time, you know, from the military, and I had a lot of time instructing. And you know, one of the things that I didn't mention was I I spent a uh, before I went to the Thunderbirds, I spent almost three years instructing at uh, at a pilot training base in uh, jets. So uh, so I have a lot of experience instructing in, in jets, and so uh, it kind of you know, all kind of came together for me to be able to, uh, to, uh, move into that field. Now, how do I, how did I get into instructing in the phenoms and the, uh, uh, citation? 
what I did is I, I went and uh, I had uh, saved a, a good chunk of money, and uh, I went and earned my uh, single pilot type rating in the, in the Phenom 100 and in the Citation Mustang, and um, and then went from there. I, I one thing led to another, you know, and and uh, my name got out there, and I, I started picking up work as a mentor pilot. Uh, helping uh, you know new new owners with the Phenom 100 and and then if, before you know it one of these owners you know he buys a Phenom 300 and invites me to go to training with him so you know I didn't have to pay for my Phenom 300 type rating one of my clients paid for it for me you know so so it's those kind of opportunities that you know one thing snowballs and leads to another and that leads to another job and uh, that's just and. and Trust me, you know, the fears are there for me, or were there for me, too, when I first started. It wasn't like uh, I just knew that I had a paycheck coming in, because I didn't, because it, uh, it just kind of all came together. But uh, one opportunity, you know, leads to another, and that's how, how it goes, you know. Also, the fact that you had some experience in the past, uh, it, I think it helps you. I, I, everybody has fears, but it, it keeps your confidence up. Say instructing as an, an F-16 or a T-37 instructor. Now, a, a lot of our listeners have written in. They're, they're military pilots, and they're looking at transitioning to a career. And, and like you, they don't want to go into the uh, airline route like most people do. Your your experience as an F sixteen T thirty seven instructor, uh, how has that helped you with your career? And do you have any advice for people that are going to transition from this military world to the civilian world? Well, <clears throat> what I would say is, uh, it can be if, if you've just flown in the military your whole career and you don't have any civilian experience, I would say start slow. You know, look, you you got to you can't uh, preparation is the key. So. Uh, as as far out as you can feasibly plan, begin to read as much as you can about general aviation. Learn and start to earn those ratings that you need to earn. Because as a military pilot, you typically don't have the ratings that you need to move into a civilian career. So give yourself the time in order to get those those ratings and uh, instructor certificate if that's what you're interested in. Um, and start building that experience so that you're marketable when you leave the military. Because as a military pilot, yeah, you may have a lot of great experience, but if you don't have those civilian um, certificates, then it's not going to do you any good. So um, I would start early. And if, if if the airlines are your goal, then you need maybe if you're if you, like if you want to work for Southwest, I think you still have to have a. You can go to interview with them, but you. you you're not going to get hired unless you have a type rating. That'd be one thing I'd get out of the way before I retired or left my uh, career. If it's a general aviation job you're looking for, whether it's corporate or some other opportunity, uh, network. You know, there are so many tools available today that I, I didn't have when I left the, the Air Force. Uh, LinkedIn is a, is a nice networking tool. And obviously the, the Internet, uh, it, it was just in its infancy when I was um, – leaving and the, the capabilities and the potential work work to what they are now today. So, you know, a lot of the opportunities that are that are advertised today we kinda of take for granted, but uh we, we didn't have those when uh, or I didn't have that opportunity when I was even as far as being able to know a lot of the different opportunities that were available that uh, that the internet tells you about, you know, but it could all it, it, but it goes back to networking, knowing friends who have left, you know, before you that uh, maybe a, a boss is 
used to work for that's left the Air Force to go to do whatever kind of work maybe you're interested in. Start to talk to those people as soon as you can when you're thinking about this career, uh, and, and that's how you learn about the opportunities. You know, and as I was listening to you transitioning, it sounds like transitioning from a military uh, job is similar to these people that are changing careers midstream. You know, that preparation before you leave is very important. The networking and getting your ratings out of the way, you know, before you leave this secure, whether it's a military job or it's a civilian job, is to actually finish those ratings. It sounds like that's the advice you're getting. And, and get it, get your ducks in a row prior to leaving because then, then you won't have that income anymore and you want to get all that out of the way before you leave. I think that's some great advice. That's terrific advice for, for everyone, not just the folks transitioning uh, from the military to a civilian career. You know, we're coming up on a hard break. I know you have to, to fly soon, and uh, you're actually going off to, to – what are you flying today, by the way? Well, I, I'm in um, uh, Lexington, Kentucky today. We had a, a trip up from uh, Charleston yesterday and, and a few stops in Illinois and then back here in Kentucky. And then today we're headed back uh, to Charleston. And then uh, tomorrow, believe it or not, I'm headed down to uh, Brazil, um, going down to the Embraer factory in Sao Paulo, and we're going to pick up, I'm helping a, a client pick up a, a brand new uh, Phenom 300 that we're going to bring back to Florida. Wow, that sounds really cool. Love love to hear about that that experience at some point. I'd like to keep in touch and, and listen to how that goes. That would be really neat to see and hear about. Um, but the uh, you know, like before we go, just one last thing. What advice would you give to a young person who's looking at starting out in this career? They're looking at you saying, wait a minute, you know, you're a Thunderbird pilot. You've done all this, and, and you've been a military fighter pilot. But, you know, can I do that? I mean, is that something that, as a listener or anybody else out here listening who's young, and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you get to that point? How do you get that confidence and say, hey, yeah, I can do that? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I... I was that same person, you know, uh, uh, I was the same person who, uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed and went into a new, new field and thought, and looked around and look at all the, the neat things that you could do and thought, gosh, uh, could I ever do something like that? And so I've, I've been there, but, uh, I would just say work hard. You know, you, you've got to work hard and, uh, it doesn't come just because somebody handed you to you on a plate. It's, that's not going to happen. That you got to work hard and know your know your stuff and uh, and it's every day. It's not uh, not just for check rides. You know, it's every day. Every day you fly is a check ride and look at it that way and know uh, know to the best of your ability um, what you're supposed to know and uh, and apply yourself and uh, you you can't force yourself into those opportunities. I, I give all the credit to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for pr- providing those opportunities. Those, I, I didn't manipulate myself into different jobs. I, they just, uh, the opportunities presented themselves. And, uh, you know, if you're prepared and you've worked hard, then, then you just might find yourself in one of those opportunities. Uh, and looking back and going, gosh, how did I get here? But uh, that's, that's how it happened for me. Well, Dave, that's some some great advice to end on. And you know, first of all, I really appreciate your coming here to to speak with the folks. And and if they have questions, if you don't mind, can I forward them to you, and and then uh, you could answer them. Maybe come on again sometime, or or just write us an email and I then read them to the uh, to the audience. Absolutely, that'd be great. And and uh, if uh, I've got a website, if if they just want to type in my name, that'll 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 direct them to my website. But my name. 
DaveKaufman.com, D-A-V-E-C-O-F-F-M-A-N.com. We'll take you to my website, and that's got my email as well, and my Twitter, if they're interested, is uh, DKaufmanF16. Uh, that's my Twitter tag. But, um, but I'd love to, love to interact, and, and uh, if folks who got questions, will be able to answer their questions as well. Well, we'll put all those links on our website, Aviation Careers Podcast. Again, Dave, thanks for not, so much for being here, and again, thanks for your service, and uh, hope to, to hear about your adventures in the future. Well, thanks so much, Carl. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Moving on to the next segment of our show, we'll go to some of the questions and answers to uh, some of the questions of our, our listeners. We have uh, quite a bit of feedback here, and uh, the first question comes from Todd, uh, Todd writes in, says, Carl, I enjoyed your last podcast and appreciate you and Tom answering my questions about building multi-engine time. By far, my favorite podcasts were the ones featuring Tom, as I am interested in corporate aviation. Thanks for the kind comments there, Todd. Uh, Tom Wachowski is the person he's referring to, and he's been on the show a few times. He was in episode 14 to discuss a career in corporate aviation also. He was in episode 23, by far our most popular, about speaking about why not to become an airline pilot. So if you get a chance, check that out, episode 23, why not to get become an airline pilot. But getting back to Todd's question, uh, he has a few questions for Tom. And since Tom's on the road and he's been doing some recurrent training, I sent these al- questions along to him. And what I'll do is I'll read the questions, and Tom was nice enough to record some answers to those questions. So the first question, you know, what is the most important quality that a corporate flight department looks for in a prospective candidate? And I would give uh, three answers to that using the acronym FAA. So F would be fit. Uh, the corporations, uh, the corporate pilots, rather, that I've known and spoke with and, and talked to today, they want to know that the people they're hiring are going to fit with the team. They're going to get along with the people, the company culture. And a lot of corporate uh, companies have uh, – sometimes they call them success factors or they call them um, like maybe like goals. But they want to make sure that you as a corporate pilot candidate will fit into the culture and those factors and those goals so that you'll help you know add value to the company and make them – successful. The A, the, the, for FAA, A is for attitude. Uh, they really want to make sure you can get along with everybody. That's not just the pilots, but that's also your maintenance and your support people, as well as the managers that you're going to be flying around, as well as the executives that you're going to be flying around. And the really good corporate uh, departments will actually have some of the executives interview you to make sure that, you know, they sign off. And the final A is for abilities. They want to make sure if you're going to apply for a corporate job that you can fly the airplane. That means that you know the airplane, that you're willing to learn a new airplane. That means that you know the regulations. That means that you're familiar with the types of operations that that corporate flight department operates in and you've done it or you know how to do it. You have abilities. So FAA, you can fit, uh, you have a good attitude, and you have the abilities to do the job. Question two, how does Tom feel about paying for your first type rating when that becomes a limiting factor in getting hired? Well, I will say this. I'm not a fan of paying for your type rating. I understand that we all went through and paid for our training, but let me, let me explain and kind of expand on this. I'm not a fan of paying for your own type rating, and here's why. Because if a company will not uh, you know, invest in you, it tells you a lot about the company. You know, why won't they invest in you? What 
else won't they invest in? The bottom line is they really don't see value in help in 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 helping you do your job better for that company. So I'm not a real big fan of that. It it also tells you a lot about how the company values you. I mean, if they're not going to invest in you, why do they even need you? Why don't they just go, you know, do charter or hire a charter company or or, you know, get a jet card membership? It just tells me that they're really not very serious about you know, having quality people on the team, that's not to say somebody pays for their typewriting is not a quality person. What I'm saying is just that a company who doesn't invest in you, invest in you getting type ratings and, and training to do your job is amateur. And you'll see a lot of amateur operations uh, doing that. And I just don't think that that is world class when it comes to corporate aviation. And eventually I can tell you that the people I know, the few people I know who have done that, they've gone to those companies, they paid for their type rating, and they didn't stay there very long because the companies didn't treat them very well. So I'm not a real big fan of paying for your specific type rating, and, and that's why. Lastly, is it best to fly regionals before getting a corporate job? You know, that might have been the case 10 years ago, but I don't believe that today that is is really the case at all. Flying for a regional to get a corporate job is not working today, it's not working anymore, because corporate flying, it's night and day compared to regional flying. And, you know, 10 years ago, when corporate departments really, they, they couldn't find guys fast enough, because a lot of people are going to the airlines and a lot of people are moving up in their corporate positions already, they would take airline guys, because they had a lot of experience, and as a lot of new corporations entered the game, they thought 20,000 and 30,000 hours was, you know, really a valuable thing to bring to their corporate uh, flight department. And I think the statistics will show that, you know, after a certain number of thousands of hours, you're pretty much your safety and your knowledge and your skills, they, they don't really go up or down. They're pretty steady. And so uh, these guys who come in with lots and lots of hours from the airlines, are, a lot of corporations don't really see value in that anymore. The corporate guys as well, uh, corporate flight guys, corporate pilots, they like other corporate pilots these days. And so a lot of times when you are looking for a corporate job, they want to know that you've been in the corporate world, that you know how it works. And you know, uh, and that just makes a really big difference in kind of how you fit and operate the airplane and, and uh, interact with the customers and, and the expectations uh, that you'll be able to meet the expectations that a company would put on you as a corporate pilot. So unless you were going to go, the only way I would say go to the regionals to get you know, maybe the hours to get a corporate job is if you're willing to go to the regional fly your brains out, and then take a big giant step backwards in your flying career to jump into corporate. So an example might be you might go to a regional and you might fly their turboprop and then you might become a captain and then you might go to their jet as a captain and fly their jet. And you might get three or four or 5,000 hours doing all that. And by that time, probably you know have a decent income that you could live off of. And then be willing to step way backwards into an entry-level corporate job. So maybe then you jump into a King Air job or a Pilatus job or maybe right seat in a Lear type of position just so you could break the corporate nut so that you could get in and then reclimb that ladder. You can do that. Um, I just think that if you're going to be if – if the ultimate goal for you is to be a corporate pilot – I would consider staying in the corporate world and make the connections that you need. Because at the end of the day, this corporate, a lot of corporate people are hired because they've got connections, or at least they're given the interview because they've got connections. So I'm not a big fan. I wouldn't recommend doing the regionals unless you were willing to take that big giant step backwards to break into the corporate world once you've got the hours. Well, thanks uh, to Tom, first of all, for answering those questions for us. And, and if you have any questions, again, for Tom or anybody else, just please uh, go to our contact page at Aviation Careers Podcast. Now, Todd continues on and asks, uh, he says, Carl, you mentioned you knew a pilot 
who is also a practicing dentist. How in the world did he have the time to do both? Well, I'll tell you how in the world he did that. He actually was able to get his his uh, degrees and also become a dentist, and then at the same time he was flying. See, now he was able to be senior enough at an airline. He got in early, and he has his, I think it was his weekends off, or he's able to get a lot of days off regardless. And on his days off, he's able to practice medicine and uh, dentistry. And what he does is on those, uh, he has a partner in his practice. And so he partners with someone. And as a matter of fact, it's not, not just dentistry, but anything else. A lot of times I find people will partner with someone else. Say they're doing real estate and they'll partner with somebody who's doing real estate full time so that they can help them when they're actually working on the sale. So there is somebody in the office full time, but they're actually uh, taking credit for that, for that uh, sale too. So yeah, that's how he does that. He, he works as a dentist on his days off. Remember, as a senior pilot, you get about 15 days off a month, and sometimes you can get more. Todd asks if I can have him on my show. As a matter of fact, we're, we're working on that. We'll try to get him on the, on the show. Of course, uh, Todd's other question is, could I potentially have the time to be practicing veterinarian and be a regional airline pilot? Again, the tough part about doing that, uh, the tough part about actually doing both at the same time is that you have to build the flight time. You have to get on with an airline. Your airline schedule your first year, uh, first few years uh, can be very varied and you're on reserve. So it might be somewhat difficult, not impossible, but you have to get your ducks in a row so that if you do decide to go to a regional airline, that you can actually have somebody else to take care of your your uh, practice while you're not there. And uh, Todd continues on and says, now you got me thinking, Carl. Well, Todd, uh, thanks for that question. I really appreciate it. Our next question comes from Swain. Uh, Swain writes in and says, I'm currently 15 years old and a sophomore in high school. Next summer, I plan to begin work on my private pilot's license, which I hope to obtain shortly after I turn 17 next winter. Ever since I was a little boy, I had a passion for aviation. I guess it's in my blood. Both grandfathers were private pilots. I recently started thinking about what I want to do when I graduate from college. I have posted on many forums asking questions, emailed back and forth with Kent Wine from Cockpit Chronicles and many other people. And I'll have a link to Cockpit Chronicles on my website. It's a really cool uh, a blog there about aviation. It's an airline pod that talks about aviation. Swain continues, I know it takes a lot of dedication to be a pilot, and luckily for me, I have many years to plan and decide if it's the right path. I also will be meeting with a few family friends who are pilots, one a corporate pilot and the other an airline pilot. My goal by emailing and meeting with these people was to separate some fact from fiction in the industry. I have this tentative plan in mind for the future. Go to college, get a master's in something other than aviation, like entrepreneurship or business. And uh, he says here he's doing pretty well in school, so that should be fairly easy. He's got a 4.0 in Eagle Scout, and uh, he's in honors classes. And by the way, the Eagle Scout will be on your resume forever. That's a great thing to get. Uh, He wants to attend flight school after graduating and then build hours as a CFI in pursuit of a regional or cargo uh, job. And then after that, he's going to apply for the majors. He continues, one thing I have gotten frequently is a lot of mixed feedback from forums and other people. One person told me to run, run away as fast as you can. Another, don't even consider it, you'll be trapped. The thing is, from what I have heard from many other pilots, it can be a completely different story. The people I know love their job and would probably hate doing anything else for a living. I feel like that would be me. It is discouraging for me to hear feedback like that and it honestly makes me really nervous. I know that aviation could be my niche, but I path and I really need 
to take it head on. Uh, based on this, he, uh, he has a few questions. Uh, before we get into those questions, first of all, uh, thanks uh, for, the, for all these questions, uh, Swain. Uh, but I have a few comments. First of all, don't let anybody steal your dream. One of the reasons you have many varied responses from pilots is the fact that this job is not for everyone. Unfortunately, some pilots don't discover this until it's quote-unquote too late for them to make a change. The pilots who are responding with negative comments about their vocation are similar to those who feel they're trapped in their desk job and write into the show and say that they want to become a pilot. So that's the other side. Remember, a job as a pilot is something you should have some passion for and not simply do for the money. You know, I remember speaking with this one pilot who felt he was trapped and wanted to leave his job uh, you know, out of the airlines and go do something else. But you know what? He couldn't figure out how to make 130000 a year and have 15 days off at the same time. So when he could find that type of job, then he might move on. But he's, he's looking towards doing that. And, and he was kind of being facetious, too, because it's kind of hard to find that. So this, this puts some things in perspective. Now, by the way, that person that I was talking to who's making that type of money, he's actually uh, in his, like, 15th year flying. So it's, he's way down the road. Also, many times we feel trapped because when we start making more money, we begin buying more things and getting further into debt. Uh, this is why I re- recommend that you you know, you know really have a good financial plan if you're going to start a career and make sure you don't start buying things once you start making more money. Happens with everybody. Happens with the airline pilots too once they start making really good money. So again, the uh, you know uh, Stop Acting Rich is a good book to, to read, and I have a link to that on, on one of my past episodes. It's a real good book. Uh, but anyway, let's go back to your questions, uh, Swain. So uh, first of all, what should I think when I get responses from online forums or people who tell me to run? Well, I tell you what, there's a couple of ways to run. It's either run away or run towards your goal. There's uh, The people are telling you to run. A lot of times people are disgruntled in their jobs. You know, for, oh gosh, about a decade ago when after 9-11 and things really had a, a heavy downturn in the industry, Half the people were like, you know, I, I bought on to this thinking that I was going to make the six-figure income. I'd have half my di- my month off, and I'd be sitting at home, uh, you know, enjoying time by the pool all the time. And now here I am working really hard, not making very much money. If you're looking at it just from a money perspective, you're not going to be happy. You know, you really need to look at it from the perspective of you like the lifestyle, you like flying, you like everything about it. And, yeah, you'll make a good living, but it's going to take you a while. So what I tell those people is I'd say run. Yes, you should run. Run towards something you want to do. Don't run towards something that somebody else has put in your mind that you should do. So, so again, do a lot of research. You know, don't, don't run away. Just start running towards more good information by listening to things like this, this podcast and other people's podcasts, and read as much as you can. Uh, let's see, your question number two. After years of flying, do you still look forward to it like you did when you first began? I get worried after someone told me that it would feel like driving a bus after years. And then the next question, how did you get to where you are? Well, as far as uh, do I look forward to it, yes. Do I look forward to it the same way that I did before? No. Uh, the way I looked at it before, uh, well, first of all, when you just start out, 
everything's exciting. Oh my gosh, you're in a new plane, first time de-icing, going to all these new places. Uh, as you start flying more and more, uh, you go to the same places over and over again. Now, the way that I look at it, am I still excited about it? Yes. Uh, from the flying perspective, yes. Uh, honestly, you know, we, we get to do some pretty cool landings in some uh, really tough weather. We get to fly a lot. Um, and when I'm gone for like three to four weeks from flying, I do. I truly, truly miss it. As a matter of fact, on my days off, I actually fly small airplanes. But as far as just the, the career as an airline pilot, the things I miss are the overnights. What I do is to, make, to mix things up is when I go to a destination, I try to find things to do. Many times I have like 30-hour overnights, and I can go out exploring. I get, do some research beforehand and rent a car and go visit museums, that type of thing. So, yeah, that actually really, really uh, intrigues me, and it, it keeps me moving forward. I always try to find new destinations to go to, so I'll do, I'll do those type of things, try to, quote-unquote, uh, bid my trips that way. Uh, as far as how did I get to where I am now, I actually had a few businesses before this, uh, and I uh, was in the computer business. Then I was actually in an uh, international uh, seafood trading business, and that, that actually helped me in this career, and, and flying was my hobby loved flying. I wanted to fly all the time, and I figured by flight instructing, I could actually go out and fly all the time. Well, what I did is I turned that uh, flying hobby into my job full-time. So I'm one of those people that went from a different career to this, spent about 10 years doing a business, building all my ratings. And, and when I was making quite a bit of money, what I was doing is I was actually paying for all those ratings and paying for my time. So that's how I actually got to where I am. I'm one of those people that, that primarily paid for my uh, multi-engine time because I was actually flying a twin around uh, when I was running my business. Uh, so that that's it's a, in a nutshell, that's how I got to where I am now. And do I enjoy it? I love it. And uh, I can't wait to go to work. Some days, you know, it's like anything else. Some days are tougher than others. But when you're just actually flying, it's pretty cool. Uh, your uh, third question, the last one you have here, is uh, number three. What do you think... The future of the industry is looking like, do you see a brighter future compared to the last 11 years? Now, first of all, the future of the industry, its uh, the industry goes in cycles. Uh, I've, I've seen this play out so many times over the past, like you said, the past 11 years is what you're referring to. I've seen ups and downs, and uh, it's, it's pretty interesting how um, these cycles conti- will continue on. The people are going to fly. People are going to want to go from point A to point B. And uh, even though we have the Internet, people still want to go visit places and they still want to have face-to-face meetings. So, yes, I think there is there is some growth in the aviation world. Uh, but as far as the career itself, you have to look at how many people are retiring out of the out of the career, which you're going to see a lot of that in the next 10 years, quite a bit, uh, because a lot of those people are, are turning age 65 and they'll be retiring. So, yeah, I do see a bright future. Now, one of the things I want to say, uh, speak towards in that, is remember in the past 11 years, you, you probably may not remember this, but there was a time when things really started building up uh, rather quickly. There's a, a big uptick in the economy. After 9-11, things started really building back up, and uh, airlines were hiring people again. We were hiring people with 500 hours. Uh, you heard the uh, the people starting from from ground zero, doing nothing, uh, then started to fly, and they went from six months to a year into the regionals, and then from another two years at the regionals, they went moved on to the majors. You're seeing people from the day they said they wanted to be an airline pilot to the day they were an airline pilot, two to three years. Now, that happened. They just got there in, in that one hiring cycle because there's been a big hiring cycle in these past couple of years. There's also been a big downturn. We're going to see another hiring cycle, even though I don't see a big uptick in the economy. There's still going to be a big hiring cycle again 
because of the growth due to all these retirements. So, yeah, I, I do see a, a really, really bright future. Uh, so, Swain, again, the most important thing, don't let anybody take away from your dream. I would I would suggest go ahead and get your ratings. You talked about going to school and getting your degrees, et cetera. Uh, a lot of folks, what I tell them to do is get your ratings, get your flight instructor ratings, start making money flying as quickly as you can. Even while you're in college, once you have all your – your certificates, they can't take that away from you. And, uh, of course, if you do something wrong, they can. But you can go out and teach on the weekends and at nights. So you're making money while you're in school. So if you could try to do that, that would be great. But, of course, don't let it take away from your current studies. Uh, there's some great questions, and I really appreciate you folks uh, writing in. So if you, And, again, make sure you, if you have any questions to send me them uh, at Aviation Careers Podcast. You can click on the contact section. Our recommendation today, again, is another book. Um, as you know, most of you listening to the show know, I'm really passionate about aviation, and I'm fortunate to have turned my passion for aviation into a lucrative and fulfilling career. But before I moved down this path of life immersed in aviation, I was just like many of you, trying to decide if this was the wisest career choice. Making a career as an airline pilot requires obtaining a college education, earning various pilot certificates, and years of hard work at low-paying jobs. Well, when I was in my 30s, I had to make a decision. If I was going to go to follow my passion or the money and stay in the current career I had. Later, I found I could do both, but needed to proceed with my new career both responsibly and with passion. The book Wisdom Meets Passion reminded me of how many different ways we look at our career choices. Reading the book reminded me of looking through, you know, one of those 3D glasses where one eye is passion, the other eye is wisdom. The screen looks flat as does life when we only view our careers through one lens, but when we open our eyes to passion and wisdom simultaneously, we then see a beautiful three-dimensional and engaging picture of life. So I highly recommend this book, Wisdom Meets Passion, for anyone looking towards fulfilling their dream and getting involved in an exciting career in aviation. This book speaks towards both the career changer and the young individual making their path in life. Again, Wisdom Meets Passion. If you could go to my website, Aviation Careers Podcast, uh, episode 25, and just click on that book there. And uh, if you do purchase it off our website, it does help support this website. And just uh, another thing you could do to help support this website and uh, this show, if you enjoy it, is to go to Aviation Careers Podcast and and uh, shop on Amazon by clicking on uh, Shop at Amazon on, on our website. It really does help support our website. We get a little commission from that. It helps us bring the show to you. Well, that's it for uh, for this episode. I, I know there's been a lot of people on this show, and, and it's been great to, to talk to you. And remember, uh, don't let anybody steal your dream. Keep moving towards your career goal. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, there's oh oh there's another thing too. We had a redesign on the website, so go check it out. AviationCareersPodcast.com. Uh, Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast. He redesigned the top of my page. And if you want to subscribe, you want to get in touch with me, you want to follow me on Facebook or Twitter. Real easy way to do that. Go to AviationCareersPodcast.com. On the top bar, you'll see the big button that says subscribe. Subscribe in iTunes. Uh, you can you know go and click on the RSS feeds for the podcast and also for the website. You can uh, go and uh, sign up through Miro. You can also subscribe through Stitcher. And again, the Facebook and Twitter are there. To contact me, the easiest way to do that is click on the contacts page. And uh, on that page, you'll see the many different ways. You can, my email address is Carl at Aviation Careers Podcast. You can click on the email. Uh, also, if you want to leave a, a voicemail question you can do that and we'll put that on the show the number is 347 my wings or 347-699-4647 well again uh, we'll talk to you next episode and i really appreciate your speaking to us remember don't let anybody steal your dream 
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.